Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. today. Um, I think I know some of you, if I haven't met uh, met you, I actually serve as a consultant here at Life in Deep Ellum, um, which is basically just a fancy word that says I sit around and drink coffee and like talk about org charts with the board. So um, I, I love getting to be a part of, uh, of life here at Life, Life in Deep Ellum. I've been helping out with youth group stuff. I'm excited for our youth group event on Friday night. We're trying to build that, grow that, develop that for our teenagers here. Um, and I'm excited to get to, uh, to preach this morning at Life in Deep Ellum. This is going to be very interactive, so I encourage you to, to dive in. There's going to be some things I'm going to ask you to do at your table and also to give back. Um, so we are starting this new series called Progressive Dinner, um, which how many of you have actually been to a progressive dinner? Okay, quite a few of us. Um, so a few years ago, I was a pastor at a church out in Los Angeles and, uh, and around Halloween, we're like, you know, let's do a big Halloween party. Well, how many of you have been to a church Halloween party? And, and like, Go ahead and raise your hand. Like, so, okay, so many of us have been to church Halloween parties, and we were sitting around in staff meeting one day, and we were like, we don't want to be anything like a church Halloween party, right? Here's why. Because church Halloween parties, if we're being truly honest, sometimes can be a little bit weird. So they usually either go like one or two ways. Either they, 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 they do it in the parking lot, and they call it like a trunk or treat, and you put candy in your car, and then kids like dress up, and they walk around to get candy out of people's cars. Super weird, right? Like whoever thought of trunk or treat should be fired because it's really weird. That's like option one for churches. Okay. Option two, I think I can't decide if it's actually better or worse, but you, you go into like the big room or the fellowship hall or whatever. And, and, and there's like these games, right? But not any games. These are games that were built about 50 years ago by somebody's grandpa. And they, they kind of dust them off out of a closet and they bring them out. And it's like those little ring toss things. And, and then kids get like subpar candy for playing these like 50 year old games. I also think that that's, that's not really doing it justice. So we're like, we don't want to do any of this, right? Um, and we're not going to call it some sort of Halloween or, uh, you know, like fall festival or something like that. Because, you know, churches get a little weird about Halloween. So we're like, we, we just, we just want to avoid all of this. So we sat around and we're like, you know, let's just throw a party in our city. But not just one party. Let's throw like four parties. Like, how are we going to do that? So what we decided to do is we decided to do, uh, we, we set up in a cul-de-sac, stop number one. And we said, all right, so we, we, when pitching this to the church, we said, hey, we're going to throw a Halloween party. And it's not going to be like your average Halloween party. It's not even going to be here at the building. Because, right? you know, going to a church for a party is not really what most people think of when they think party. So we're like, we're just going to throw a party in different cul-de-sacs. And so the first cul-de-sac, we had sort of appetizers. We had nachos and cheese. And, uh, and, and we had inflatables for the kids. And, and, and not like cheap inflatables. We got the ones that are like bigger than your house, right? The, the giant slides that are like bigger than a two-story house. And we, we put these up in the cul-de-sac and, and we said, hey, come have appetizers. Stop number two was it was another cul-de-sac, right? And, uh, and in this cul-de-sac, this is where we had a big giant barbecue dinner. Now this is like Southern California barbecue. It's not Texas barbecue. Not as good. I'll just say that, right? But in Southern California, you know, we, 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 we did a barbecue, which for them is like basically burgers and hot dogs, right? And 
so we, we, we did that, and we had this huge spread, and the Dodgers were playing, and so, and so we had this, this giant inflatable kind of uh, uh, you know, presenter kind of style TV so people could watch the game, have dinner. Stop number three was a third cul-de-sac, and this was where we had dessert. And so we did s'mores, and we had more inflatables, and we had you know, not just the cheap candy. This, I mean, I'm a big Sour Patch kind of guy. I, how many of you like Sour Patch kids? Okay, yeah, no shame there. I love the orange and yellow, but I know it's the flavors no one likes. But we, we actually said none of that kind of stuff. We're just going to give like king-size candy bars, and we're going to do s'mores. And that was our third stop, so it was dessert. And then we had a fourth stop, but we said the only people who can go to the fourth stop are middle schoolers. Because, you know, middle schoolers are, are sometimes moody, and they don't really want to hang out with their parents. So we just let parents drop their middle schoolers off, and we did a pool party for them. So that was, like, stop number four. Um, if you've never built a box maze, a Halloween box maze for middle schoolers out of 50 refrigerator-sized boxes, trying to figure out how to do that, right, and then they destroy it at the end, you're missing out on life. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm glad I got to do it. hope I never have to do it again. But uh, that was stop number four. And so what we did is we basically just said to our, our, our church family, we said, hey, let's just go to a stop. And then you can go to all of them. You can go to one of them. You can hang out and then just go to the next one, get in the car. And so families were stopping in to dropping into all these different little parties. And then because we did it in, around Halloween, like we had other people who were just like dropping in. And so people were like just walking out with their kids trick-or-treating. Like, why are there giant inflatables in this cul-de-sac? We want to go do that, right? Forget, how, forget trick-or-treating. They're doing s'mores and inflatables. I want to do that. And so we just threw a party in our city, a progressive Halloween dinner. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this sermon series over the next eight weeks. As we look at stories in the book of John where Jesus does miracles. Because Jesus was the kind of guy who kind of just was constantly throwing parties and constantly sitting around the table and eating meals with people. And there's some stories through the book of John that we're going to look at. And as we look at these stories, as we read through the book of John, it's kind of like dropping into different parties with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do in this progressive dinner series over the next couple weeks. And I'm excited to get to kick us off on that. Uh, And so as we think about this, as we think about Jesus sitting around the table, today I want you to consider who might you invite to the table with Jesus, right? Now, many of you are sitting around a table right now, right? A little tiny table, a bistro table, or a giant table, or a high top table, right? You're sitting around a table, and I want you to think about who might you invite to your table, Right, and this is this is a question. There's all sorts of tables in our life. We have tables here at Life in Deep Ellum. Tonight we'll have a table where we'll sit around and watch the game, or not if you're not into football. But uh, and then we'll have we'll have tables at coffee shops. We have tables at work. We have tables everywhere we are. And what we see is that Jesus is constantly inviting us to sit at the table with Him. And that's this progressive dinner idea that we're going to look at over the next few weeks as we move up through Easter. So today we're going to be in John chapter 2. We're going to look at the first stop in the book of John where Jesus sits around the table with a group of people. So this is stop number one in our next eight-week series. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you or you have a Bible app, we'll also have it on the screen. But I encourage you to just pull that out because we're going to be looking at a couple different things today. And this is going to be highly interactive. So John chapter 2 is where we're going to land. First stop on our progressive dinner with Jesus. But before we open the text, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we open up your word this morning... May we gratefully receive it. May we clearly understand it. And may we faithfully 
apply it to our lives through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if you need a Bible, Brenda has one in the back. Feel free to grab one from her. But this is John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Everyone go, dun, dun, dun. All right, this is like you don't ever want to run out of, of wine at a party, right? Okay, so this is, we have a problem. No, uh, verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. So his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind they used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. So he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out their best wine first. And then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take this package and we're going to unpack it in four different ways. Everyone say four ways. Uh, Some of you did not speak for four ways. Okay, we're going to get better. I told you this is going to be interactive, right? This is not just me sitting up here like talking a bunch, right? Anybody can do that. All right, so four Ps. We're going to talk about the place. We're going to talk about the people. We're going to talk about the plot and then the purpose, all right? So the place, the people, the plot, and the purpose. These are the four Ps of any story. So if you're going, you know what? I don't really know how to like study the Bible. All you got to do is just read a section and then just think about the four Ps. All right, what are the four Ps? The place. People, plot, and purpose. All right, those are the four things. So number one, we're going to look at the place. All right, so where are we at? What is going on in this story? Where are they? Everyone turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor where this is happening. Go. All right, so hopefully you told your neighbor. So your neighbor should now, should now uh, respond back. So where is this place happening? Cana, a wedding in Galilee, right? So this is sort of the context of this story. So we're reading the Bible. Where, where is this happening? What is going on? Now, this one's kind of easy because it's really clear. It tells us Jesus was at a wedding in Cana, in Galilee. Sometimes we read the Bible and it's not that specific and we have to kind of go look it up or read before and read after to get context, all right? How many of you are like literary people, like reading narrative, novels, writing. Okay. All right. You get it. This is context. This is place, right? So this is, this is kind of a given. Verse one, third day, a wedding takes place at Cana in Galilee. Who loves a good dinner party? How many of you? Okay. All of us love a good dinner party. Unless you're like, you know what? I'm super introverted and uh, this is just not my jam. I'm more of like, Hey, it's a, a small group of people, or I just want to hang out. What Branda? That's right. That's right. Introverts just eats, right? But 
Many of us love a good dinner party, whether it's like a, a party with our, with our friends or a birthday party or a retirement party. There's always fun to be had at parties. You know who else enjoyed a good party? Jesus, right? A lot of times we think of Jesus as a sort of, you know, nice, like, you know, kind of God-like figure. And he, he was, but Jesus also was just a real person who loved a good party, right? And that's what we celebrate about Jesus is that Jesus is just like us. He wants to hang out with people. Jesus is social. And a lot of times people wanted to hang out with Jesus at the party. Jesus, in a lot of ways, was the life of the party. Here's what Frederick Bruner says about this. He says, we may highlight Jesus's frequent presence in social settings in every gospel. Jesus was clearly not a recluse, not a hermit, not an unnaturally religious person. He was invited to meals and parties and he came to a number of them. I want you to focus on that. I love what Bruner says. Jesus was not a unnaturally religious person. When I think about Christians in the world today, I think about a lot of people that go, this, this is, this is, a, this is weird, right? And, and, and you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's just some weirdness in Christianity sometimes, not everywhere, but in a lot of places. And Jesus just is this normal guy and he's, he's God of the universe, but also a guy who likes having a party. And those two merge together in Jesus. And when he invites people to the table, you can imagine people wanted to hang out with this guy because he didn't look like the church. He didn't look like the religious leaders in the temple. And they're like, we like this guy, right? We would never invite the Pharisees to our party. They're they're super awkward. But we'll invite Jesus because he's doing something different. See, Jesus was an unnaturally religious person. He didn't just hang out in the temple with all the other priests. He didn't just do religious things all the time. He hung out with people that did not look like church. And that's what made him so popular, right? He hung out in places where like, if it's, you know, I, I, I work in religious settings. I work at a seminary and I work at, in churches. And sometimes it's like, if I were to go to some places, some people might go, why are you there? And that's exactly the kind of places Jesus went to, right? He's, he went to places where if you and I went to, people might start to question, why is this person there, right? And that's where Jesus loved hanging out because he hung out with people in, in just crazy places, people with diseases, social outcasts, people with sin. He just hung out with people that the church never wanted to hang out with. And in John 2, Jesus is at this massive party, right? So this, this wedding takes place in Cana. Jesus is with his disciples. And they've all been invited and the wine is gone, right? The wine runs out. They have no more wine. So we see, we see the place. He's at a wedding in Cana, in Galilee, big party, right? And what's cool about this is that in this time period, parties would have lasted for like a week. A good wedding feast wasn't just like a one thing like that, a reception. It was a week-long event. So that's sort of the context we have to think about. It's Jesus is not just at a party. He's at like a week-long reception for this wedding. So they had to have a lot of wine, right, for this kind of event. This wasn't one night. This is a week. That's what they did in this time period. So for the, for the, wine, to, for the wine to run out, this is sort of a big deal. So Cana, wedding, party Jesus, and now party foul because they ran out of wine. So that's the place. Let's go to number two. Who's there? Start shouting out names of people that were there. Mary. Uh, did John say Mary? He said Jesus' mother. Now we can then infer Mary. So anyway, that was a little bit of a tricky one. Jesus' mother, right? Disciples. Who else? The bridegroom. 
the father of the bride, master of ceremony. Yeah, the person sort of throwing this party. Who else? Servants. Jesus. Did we say disciples? Okay. Holy Spirit. Yes, of course. That was your Jesus juke right there, right? Um, Yeah, brothers, right? And so when we see this, we get this sort of view of who was there. Right. But I want to focus on one person. We're going to focus on the mother of Jesus, Mary. Right. So we always focus on Jesus. Let's just focus on Mary for a second. So here we go. So what is what does Jesus's mother say to him? What does she say? They have no more wine. Right. And Jesus says what? He says, he says, woman. All right. We're going to talk about that for a second. Right. But he says, woman. This is not my time, right? Why do you ask me about this, right? I'm just here as a guest. I'm just here, ta- I'm just here hanging out, right? Give me a break. But I would imagine, see, we get kind of confused on this sometimes. Why does Jesus' mother ask Jesus to perform a miracle in this situation? Well, there's sort of two different reasons why this could happen. Number one, it could just be that Jesus' mother is super pragmatic. She just needs more wine. So we don't see, right? We don't see Joseph in this story. Chances are Joseph has probably died. We don't know for sure. But Joseph really sort of disappears off the scene earlier in in the story. And so for now, for for a series of years, we haven't heard of Joseph. So in this story, we just assume that Joseph is not in the picture. And so because Joseph may have died, Jesus may have become the breadwinner, kind of the, the guy, the man of the house, right? And so his mother may just be going, hey, you're the one responsible for going to buy the wine. I'm not going to buy it. Just give me a glass of wine. And so it may just be super pragmatic. The other side is maybe there's some spiritual divine thing where his mother's going, this is your moment, right? You can, you can, you can do a miracle, right? You're divine. You're the God of the universe and also my son. And I can have a proud mom moment, right? If you're a mom, think about that moment when your kid does something special, right? If you're a mom that puts on like the bumper sticker, my kid is an A plus student, right? This is one, this is Mary doing that where she's like, I can, I can be a proud mom when Jesus like saves the day, right? We don't really know her reasoning here, but what does Jesus say? Nah, I'm good. But there's a word that he uses here in English that we can, we can get stuck on. So I don't want us to get stuck on it, but what's that word? Woman, right? Can you imagine telling your mother woman, right? I don't know about you. I grew up in, in the South. Like, it would have been a beating, right, I think. Um, no, I think my mom would have absolutely killed me, right? She would have been like, what did you say? And then she would have said, wait till your dad gets home. And then I would have been even more scared, right? But this is a weird one because Jesus says woman, right? And we kind of go, oh, I don't, that seems kind of weird. What, is Jesus being rude? Well, who gets to say this? Who gets to say this? the son of God, right? And we don't really know why Jesus used this word. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out an idea. This was written in original Greek. And anytime we take Greek and we try to translate it to English, it gets messy, right? And so not every word translates exactly right. But when he, when he says this in the Greek, we just don't have a real good word here. The Greek word is gune, and it just translates over to kind of spouse, woman, mother, sort of that, this kind of ideology. And, and there's just not a good reason for why this is translated this way, because there's no equivalent in English. So if we really think about it, it might be something more like ma'am, 
or lady, right? And ma'am is probably sounds a lot better than woman to us, right? And so we just kind of do the best we can with translating this over to English. A lot of scholars say in Greek, in Greek language, if, when he says this, it wouldn't have been offensive. It really would have just been a sign of respect to say, hey, you know what? You're my mom. And you know what? There's nothing I'm going to do here, right? And so when we see Jesus, we see him just kind of giving his mom this sort of emotional kind of, ma'am, why are you asking me to do this? I don't know if I want to do this. And what he's really, you know, what, what he's trying to, to, to say is something very powerful. This is not my time, right? And you're not the boss of me. Right. When I was a kid, I used to kid, I used to kid my brother all the time. I was the older kid. And so my brother was my younger brother and I would often try to boss him around. And my brother would always come back to me and say that line, you're not the boss of me. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is saying here. He's actually separating himself from his mother's house and saying, I'm going to be my own person now. And in my time, I will perform miracles. And so 30 seconds later, he actually decides to do the miracle. That's so ironic that he's like, nah, I'm not going to do anything. And then 30 seconds later, he does the miracle, right? But here's what happens. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And if I had to sum up Christianity in like 10 words or less, that would be it. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Do whatever Jesus tells you, right? And this is hard for us because a lot of times I do whatever Kevin wants to do. You probably do whatever it is that you want to do. We are the master of our own universe. And and Jesus' mother comes here and and she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And we decide to place our, our faith in Jesus. We begin to make this transformation. It's not about Kevin anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's about what Jesus wants. And we begin to follow Jesus. And this is hard. So when we hear Jesus say, this is what, he, this is what comes next. He, he eventually says, all right, there's some things we're going to do. And we're going to now move to the plot. So number three, plot. So Jesus says, no, nah, I'm not going to do any miracles. Then he decides to do the miracle. And so what is, what's going to happen that is going to tell us about the plot? So verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremony washing each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus says, fill them with water. So that's what the servants did. They filled them up. And he says, now draw them out and take it to the master of the banquet. And so they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So we think about the plots, right? We've talked about the place. We're at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. There's a bunch of people here. Jesus is here. His disciples are here. The mother of Jesus is saying to Jesus, hey, this is, this could be your really cool moment where you turn uh, some water into wine and you, you solve the problem, right? And then we get to the plot and we see that Jesus actually decides to do a miracle. And this is the first miracle recorded in John. Can you imagine being one of the servants? So there's these big pots, Right. And Jesus says, fill them up with water and then put the lid on and then draw out some water and take it to the master of ceremonies. Now, I want you to think if you were a servant and Jesus asked you to do this, what might you be thinking? Yep. Yep. He's this is going to get me killed. Right. Are you are you crazy? You just asked me to put water in a pot and then take it to the master of ceremony and tell him it's wine, right? These servants, 
Some of them may not even really fully grasp who Jesus was. They don't know that he can do a miracle. And so for them, they're, they're probably going, this is not going to end well, right? Yesterday, I was uh, doing some skiing up in Colorado. And one of my colleagues was like, hey, I haven't went skiing in like 20-some years. And I was like, great, this is awesome. Because that means you're not going to be better than me, right? Well, <laughs> we, we take the chairlift up to the top of the mountain. And, and we, we get to the top of, 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 the, uh, of, of the, the run. And... This is a blue because I'm like, you know, I think we, you know, you've done this before, but it's been a while. It's a blue and, uh, and, and I think I can handle this. And I'm one of these guys, I, I don't really love to go fast when I'm skiing. I know that sounds weird, but I like, you know, cruising, taking pictures of the scenery and all that kind of stuff. And so we get to the top and we start looking down and it's like kind of straight down. And he's like, hey, I'm just going to go for it. And he just goes. And I'm like, uh, oh, you're better than I thought. <laughs> right? Like, and so I'm just like. Uh, all right. And there's not a lot of snow right now in Colorado. So there's all these rocks that you can see down there. And I'm just like, this is going to end very poorly. And I just said, all right, well, let's go for it. And you just point your skis down and you start to go. Right. I didn't know if I was going to wipe out down there. I didn't know what rocks stood in my way. I didn't know what grass would pop up, but that takes faith that, you know what, I'm going to go. And that's exactly what happens with these servants. Right? This is when they step out and they go, I'm going to draw some water out of a pot and give it to my boss and tell him it's wine. I'm just going to hope that this guy knows what he's talking about. Right? And sure enough, what happens? Right? The master of ceremony calls the bridegroom aside and he says, everyone brings out their best wine first and saves the cheap stuff for last. But this is the best wine I've had yet. And it says that what Jesus did was a miracle, revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He's completely floored. The wine is this amazing wine. And the master of ceremony is going, gosh, where did this come from? And at this point, who knows that this came from Jesus? Only the servants, right? So the plot is that Jesus does something really cool, but no one really knows about it. And that brings us to our purpose. And that's where we kind of wrap all this up, right? When we think about this, I want us to think about two things that we can take away from this story. We've, we've, we've seen the place. We've, th- we've thought about the people. We've examined what, hop- what happened in the story. And now we kind of walk away with what's the purpose. When we're reading the Bible, that's always the most important part. What's the purpose? Because there's always a purpose then and then there's a purpose for us now. Let's think about the purpose. I want us to think about two things. The first one is this. Jesus gives us a new way. Everyone say new way. Jesus gives us a new way. And here's how. When he says to his servants, gather those stone pots. What were those stone pots used for? Ceremonial washing, right? So this was basically pots that the Jews would use to wash themselves, to clean themselves before they went to a meal. Now, in the Old Testament, this is what the Jews would do. They had all these rules and regulations on how to clean yourself because they, they really believed in being pure, in being clean, in, in bringing yourself perfected to the situation, right? Because they, they had messy lives. They literally walked down dirt roads. And so there was both a tangible, I need to be clean to eat, and I also need to be clean of my sin. And so there was this ideology that we would wash and wash and wash and wash with water to purify ourselves before presenting ourselves to God. This is what the Jews focused on consistently. And Jesus says, take that pot. And and they're probably going, those pots? 
with the cleaning water? What are you doing? And for him to say, I'm going to turn that water into wine means that Jesus is doing a new thing. Jesus is saying back in the old days, right? Up until now, you've just had to wash yourself to be clean. And Jesus says, now my blood will clean you. And that's what happens for us today. Many of us get caught in this lie that we have to bring ourselves to God as these like clean people. A lot of times we think that we have to fix ourselves or we have to get rid of sin or we have to do this or do that. And then we bring ourselves to God and God says, no. He said, my blood that I'm going to shed on the cross will cleanse you of anything in your life. And that transforms us. And so if you've ever thought about putting your your trust in Jesus, don't worry about fixing all the things in your life first. God takes care of that. He just says, come and follow me. Jesus gives them a new way because he takes the dirty cleaning pots and he turns it into beautiful, amazing wine. And that's what he does in your life. He takes the dirtiness of our own life. And here's a spoiler alert. We all have junk, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you have junk. Right? Turn to your other neighbor. Say, you have junk. We live messy lives, right? We all have things in our life that separate us from God. And this is where Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to give you a new way. Believe in me, my blood will heal you. That's the first one. And the second one is this. Jesus makes a whole lot of wine, right? Six pots. How how much did those pots hold? 20 to 30 gallons each. So let's just cut it down the middle. Say 25 gallons per pot times six. That's about 150,000 gallons, right? No, wait, I'm off on that. Wait, (laughs) Scratch that. <laughs> like 150 gallons. <laughs> I'm a theologian, not a mathematician. Anyway, so, yes, but regardless, 150,000, 150, I don't know about you, I can't drink 150 gallons of wine, right? And in a large event, that's a lot of wine. And for Jesus to turn all of this into this massive supply, sometimes we, we can kind of exaggerate this. And, and sometimes people, you know, like to, like to come to this and say, well, we're going to kind of just throw this to the wayside because we don't want Jesus to, to be thought of as like a drunkard or somebody who's a little, you know, like above the, above the top. But I think the reason why Jesus does this, why he creates so much wine for them is because he's showing us that up until that point, the world had sort of been empty. And he says, I'm coming onto the scene. And when I show up, we're going to overflow. We're going to abound. We're going to have more than enough. And I think there's some imagery here that Jesus has for them in that time period where they go, wow, you have this amazing wine that you've been holding out on and it's overflowing. We have more than enough for this week. I want you to think about your life, right? It says the servants filled the pots up to the brim. And when Jesus comes into your life, he fills your life up to the brim, to where you begin to overflow. We see Paul talk about this in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Everyone say joy and peace. Everyone say peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the spirit. When God comes into your life, 
you should overflow. You should be abounding with joy and peace and love and mercy so that when you go to work or you go to the gym or you go home or you hang out with your kids or you come here to Life in Deep Ellum or you go to your favorite coffee shop across Dallas or you get on an airplane or you are wherever you are anywhere in the world with anyone, people should look at you and go, what is it about you that's so crazy? What is it about you that just is bubbling up? And when people begin to ask that, you have an opportunity to invite them to the table because you're already sitting at the table with Jesus. And so this morning, I just want us to think about how are you overflowing? And if you're not, the question is, how might you overflow? There's two villages in the Allegheny Mountains. One village had a stream running through it. And it was just sort of a a little stream. And so usually in the summer months, it would start to, to dry up. And they would just barely have enough water to get by. The other village was, was uniquely positioned over a spring. And so the water would actually bubble up from the ground through the spring. And they would always have this constant flow of water. Notice the difference. Town number one is next to a stream that just sort of flows down and eventually will, will, will dry out. Town number two sits right on top of the water supply. And always had it bubbling up. Are you like the first town? Sometimes we like to think of Christianity as something that we can just sort of position ourselves next to. We think of Jesus as something that we can kind of hang out with on the side or when we want to or when we need to. And we sort of let the grace of Jesus just sort of trickle past us because we're not actually connected deep into who he is. And eventually it begins to run up and to dry up and we start to wonder what's, what's going on. Or are you like the second town? Have you placed your, your faith in Jesus in such a way that you've just positioned your entire life right on top of who Jesus is? And we begin to put our faith in Jesus and we begin to dive into the scriptures. That begins to overflow from the inside out. There's a difference between just sort of coming and standing next to Jesus And hoping that some of him will rub off on us. And we do this sort of on Sunday or whenever we think about it. Versus actually saying, you know what? Me and Jesus are going to walk hand in hand, one and the same together. Because I'm going to invite him to be at the center of my life. And we invite Jesus at the center. He fills us up from the inside out. And we begin to abound. And when we do that, we get freedom and mercy and grace. So Branda asked us earlier, are you ready for a miracle? And I heard many of you say yes. But before we can actually see any miracle happen, we first have to sit at the table of Jesus and say yes to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you help me overflow? Will you help me to abound? Will you help me to grow and become like a fountain of grace? So earlier I said, hey, who are you inviting to the table? This week, As you go out, I encourage you to consider, are you at Jesus's table? Are you sitting beside Jesus? Are you letting Jesus overflow in your life? And who are you inviting to join with you? I'm going to pray for us and then we will sing another 90s song, a little throwback. But I hope that this morning you are encouraged to walk hand in hand with Jesus, to abound in his love and to invite others with you on this journey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we think about this text this morning, 
As we look at this first miracle of Jesus, Lord, we pray for a miracle in our life. Lord, I pray for a miracle in my friends' lives around this room. Lord, may you do something spectacular in us. Lord, may we not seek to just to just go through the world doing our own thing. But may we choose to walk hand in hand with you, sitting at your table, and letting you fill us up. Lord, if anyone here this morning is feeling tired or broken or confused or don't really know what their purpose in life is, Lord, may you give us peace and hope and love and mercy. Lord, we invite you into the center of our existence. Lord, may our lives be your life, not just our own. Lord, we pray for a miracle. Lord, we pray for transformation. And Lord, we pray that everything we do and say will give you glory and honor. We pray this in the Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.